Welcome to Season 5 of the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we talk with enterprise and technology platform leaders about the people, processes, and platforms that make marketing and customer experience successful, scalable, and sustainable. This is what creates an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advisor and consultant for Fortune 1000 marketing and CX leaders and teams as principal and chief strategist at GK5A and best-selling author, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, and Agile certified coach. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. To sign up for the Agile Brand newsletter and get the latest insights and articles on marketing technology and CX, or to purchase a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, go to gregkillstrom.com. You can also find all my books on Amazon and other retailers. And now on to the show. Today, we're going to talk about creating a winning customer and employee experience and how agile marketing approaches can be introduced and adopted for successful outcomes. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Robin Ross, AVP Corporate Marketing at Costco. Robin, welcome to the show. Hey, Greg. Great to be here. Yeah, looking forward to talking about uh, this this with you. So why don't we get started with you giving a little background on yourself and what you're currently doing at Costco. You bet. So I've been with Costco 30 years this year. So I started back oh. in 1993 and I've got a not not a very unique story where, where most executives in this company actually started in the stores. I started on the Canadian side of the business, always had my hands in marketing or membership that kind of led to some regional positions in Western Canada for marketing and came to the U.S. in 2007 to lead the membership component of the business for the U.S. and since then kind of added some additional responsibilities and now have uh, some corporate marketing responsibilities for the U.S. And, and that part of that is advising international as well. Great, great. Well, yeah, and uh, I know we'll talk about this in a in a little bit as well. But I would say, you know, being thirty years at the same company, that is definitely it. May not be as unique at at Costco as uh, as as it is in other brands, but I th- I think that says a lot. And we're we're going to talk more about uh, culture in a little bit. But I, I wanted to start with something else that I think is makes your work unique as well as makes Costco unique amongst other competitors and, and many other brands. And that's uh, that Costco famously does not really advertise in traditional ways or doesn't advertise much in traditional ways. And that sets up an interesting dynamic between the brand as well as with with potential customers. So from from your perspective, then, how is marketing defined then if advertising is really not part of the mix? It's interesting being the guy with marketing in your title on a company that prides itself on not marketing. It's it's, <laughs> right. it's, a, yeah, it's a bit of irony in here, but but honestly, when we when we look at at marketing, truly that the business has been built on word of mouth of our members, and I I, I think that goes back to superior operations, making sure you're looking after your customer, your customers sharing that story. And honestly, in the in the the vein of where social media has gone now, there there's just this opportunity that that the members are amplifying both the good and the bad in there. But if you don't have a good business first, marketing can never help you. 
And so it's really just being smart on on taking care of, of our members when they're in here. And, and we're hoping that they're sharing a good story and trying to activate some of those digital channels that, that they also wanted to share that story as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a, a big shift. I think successful brands have been thinking about the customer lifetime for value for, you know, for a while, but I, I think there's a huge shift in just thinking about those, those existing customers and, and really growing the, the lifetime value of them. And, you know, I, I'm seeing this with a lot of the companies that I work with where, I mean, new customer acquisition is always going to be important, but I think a, a bigger focus on, on that part and, and treating the customers well, as you were saying, is just, it, it it's becoming more and more prevalent in in marketing and and the CX practice that you know continues to grow as well. But you know, from your perspective, what does not focusing on advertising um, allow you to do in terms of marketing and branding? I think I think the and it's been more historical to, as as Costco has really operated. We're a low cost operator. Most of our intention and operations is around passing the lowest possible price to our customers. So anything that adds cost typically in the past uh, is not is not added value to that. What, what we're understanding now and as we, we've uh, evolved as a company is that there's different ways to communicate with our members. Part of it is on the acquisition side. Part of it is in, in the cross-sell, upsell with, with some of our co-brand programs as well as our executive membership programs and on the retention side. So it's really being strategic in the channels that we are active in that allows us to really accomplish those business objectives around acquisition as well as retention. We, we have a report card. I think we're, we're kind of unique compared to most of the retail is that our members make a choice every single year. Am I going to continue my membership with Costco or not? And that's a renewal rate. So we get to see that, and we're, we're pretty proud in in the the U.S. companies. International, we have over a ninety percent retention rate, and within the U.S., that that number is approaching ninety two point five percent. So, uh, not not that we want to rest on our laurels, but that is a number that we take very seriously in terms of are we doing things right? Because that that member has got many choices. We're a unique place in terms of they they have to pay to shop here, so that is not always a foregone conclusion that they're they're always going to be a member. So we're we're on not on guard, but certainly want to make sure that every experience is a good experience because they they get to make a choice at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, how would you say that given given that there is a definitely a strong focus on making those existing customers uh, and members uh, happy and, and keeping them loyal. How much of your work then is focused on new customer acquisition versus existing members? It's, I would say there's a balance uh, on that. So j- just the, I'm sure everybody who listens to this podcast knows the old adage in terms of it's, it's much cheaper to keep your existing customers than it is to, to bring in new right. customers but but at the at the same time acquisition is part of your growth strategy or where i think we we've seen some some activation in some successful digital channels that are, that are kind of not traditional for costco specifically where we've been able to kind of communicate that brand and and really put a message out to folks where they had a maybe an impression of what costco was 
10, 20 years ago, but just what what has evolved since then, it's not five gallon kind of jars of mayonnaise everywhere, right? Like just in terms of the categories that we're in now, the products that we're carrying and and really just what the shopping experience is, it's 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 not your grandfather's Costco, right? And I think that's really looking for opportunities to present that message to new audiences when we're kind of talking millennials, Gen Z, those kind of things. It's it's just how do we position some of our Costco stories to just, uh, I, I like to think of it, just check Costco first, right? Because we know if we carry it, you're going to get the best offer out there. And we purposely don't carry everything. But if you haven't checked us first, you're probably paying too much. Yeah, yeah. So uh, another thing that often stands out about Costco is that there's always been, and sometimes pu- very publicly so, a strong focus on treating employees well and the employee experience. So you've a case in point, I guess you mentioned at the top of the show, you've been at Costco for 30 years yourself. So, you know, they obviously they must be doing something, something well, right? Um, so how would you describe this relationship between the employee experience and the customer or the member experience? I, I I think it, it's it's really Costco's secret sauce. I, I'm unique when I when I speak to the vendors and suppliers. A lot of those people a, a year or two in a role is 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 a big deal for them. We're, we're here that that hardly rates being off of probation, right at Costco. So it is it, yeah. it is really uh, part of our culture to to really keep and retain people. And that that started right from the founder. So Jim Senegal, our founder, always had an intention of compensating employees well in terms of the market. That gives you the opportunity to, to hire and keep the best employees. And, and really there, there's a culture of teaching people. And I, I think what I, what, when I kind of look at our employees here, there's a level of ownership of the company that they, there's a pride in working here. When they, when they work here, when they're part of this family, it's that that translates into a good customer experience. And I always like to think of it this way. When you, you think of typical retail that has high, high turnover most of the time that really when, when a customer is shopping in a lot of retailers, it's probably a 50-50 shot that yeah. they're going to see the same uh, clerk or, or retail associate when they come in. What, what's cool about Costco is that we get to see families grow up just because those people have been in the stores we get to see them. We're, we're on to like third generations of Costco shoppers where, where that, that person has been their cashier. We've got people who will wait in lines just to, to see uh, specific cashiers just because of the relationships that our staff have, have grown with their members. And they take pride in that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems to be part of the, you know, the DNA of of Costco is this 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 relationship. And, you know, you mentioned it it's great when it can start with the founder. And, you know, I think there's maybe a handful of companies that you could say, share that, but not not too many, right? And and so we've got a lot of factors here, right? We've got multiple generations, not only entering the workforce, but also staying in the workforce. And we've got, you know, economic conditions, you know, whether that's economic downturns, we've had, we've lived through the great resignation, or maybe we're still even living through that. So, you know, how do you maintain this kind of this kind of culture over you know in throughout i mean you know in my career alone i've seen 
three or four financial crises, and I'm sure we're we're due for another one in a few years as well. So, you know, how how does a company like Costco maintain it given so much change and so much variation? I think at least from my perspective, what I've been able to see, it starts with operational discipline. So it's really being clear on what business we're in and how we're trying to measure and run the business. And it's 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 really being thoughtful of the things that you're not going to do that allow you to be crystal clear on the business that you're running in. So and, and part of that is preparing for, for times that are tough. Right. So we've like, like you, I've seen financial kind of conditions kind of coming in. We, we've seen like battling through COVID and, and just, just those circumstances. And as a company, we're, we're proud to say that we've been able to weather a lot of that with no impact to, to employees where, where you're seeing in kind of current economic times now, like that, for, that is a massive decision that really is kind of impacts somebody's life if they're going to lose their job. And that is the last thing that somebody would would consider as as a way to to save cost here as a company, which which I think just kind of speaks to how we operate. We're going to figure out how to to make the operation efficient so it's never on the backs of the employees, right? So we want to be able to to compensate our employees at a, at a very competitive of wage and maximize our expenses in different places of the business because it's the employees who have the relationships. With the customers and in and like honestly, the company is built on on that. We're, we're very good merchants in terms of bringing in great merchandise, but the next secret part of that is is that relationship they have with employees. And and honestly, as as kind of a big box operator, it's not uh, we're not known for having concierge level service, right? We we kind of keep our our costs low. Our it's you walk into the store, you see steel and concrete floors, but it's an efficient operation. So we we kind of make sure our our costs are controlled at different places and and allows that employee to to focus on that. And and we've got very productive employees as well. So they also were a big part of, of making this an efficient operation. Before we continue, I'd like to make sure you're aware of the upcoming CXPS 2023 conference, May 8 through 11, 2023 in Durham, North Carolina. CXPS is a great CX event focused on professional services firms that want to know how to take the next steps to make their firm successful in integrating client experience with their firm's strategic initiatives. To learn more and register for the conference, go to clientexperience.org slash cxps-conference. That's clientexperience.org slash cxps-conference. And you can register with the code AGILE200, that's A-G-I-L-E-200, for $200 off your tickets. You can hear from top professional services executives and CX thought leaders like myself through a combination of keynotes, breakout sessions, workshops, and panel discussions. Make sure to register at clientexperience.org slash CXPS conference with the code AGILE200 for $200 off your tickets. Now let's get back to the show. Well, the, the last topic I wanted to discuss with you is agile marketing, which when you and I chatted before 
uh, before the show. Uh, it's something we've we've both been through, and it's something you've implemented with your team at, at Costco. Um, can you talk a little bit about your experience implementing agile marketing at the beginning, and you know what were some of the early wins, and maybe perhaps some of the uh, biggest challenges? Yeah, so I, I could I could tell you first of all, we probably made more did more wrong than we did right in, in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And so part part of this journey is, is really is the aspiration to be clear on what we're trying to get done, to make the most efficient use of our employee as resources, and to try and get out of siloed thinking. Where where before like a project would kind of run team to team to team, and that whole idea of a waterfall approach is that you're always waiting for your piece to to kind of come in. And I've I've always been kind of fascinated watching what my my peers have done in IT as they adopted what we, we know kind of agile kind of came out of that software development kind of stage mm-hmm. and and kind of watching how they would talk about it in terms of here's what we're trying to do. Did I always see it in execution? No. And and did it did I always see it kind of sometimes it's more of a a talk to talk and not walk the walk. So I yeah. was interested in figuring out what's what's our version of that, right? And and if if our aspiration is to be work on the most meaningful things, to resource those things correctly, and to have a discipline around executing that, how do we plan for that? And where we ended up landing is figuring out how to build some cross functional teams that that again kind of goes back to where is the ownership. Not just the ownership on my piece of that project, but the ownership on this whole end to end. And what we saw in that is just a, a, like a light up of the employees that there was an investment that they had beyond their piece. And so they had an investment of that of that project uh, being successful and wanting to to kind of know how that went. And we went through different iterations in terms of do we have the right parts of resources? Some areas we were under resourced. How do we do that? Some some, some things are a shared service as, as opposed to a pod, and 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 really trying to uh, kind of engineer engineer our teams in, in a good place. Sometimes they're too big, sometimes they're too small, sometimes management is too involved, sometimes management is under under involved, and it's just really figuring out the right dials to dial that in, where where there was the, uh, an ability to to kind of create some momentum that that this team was able to take a project. And the goal being, you you take this, pretty much make as many of the decisions that you can in this group to keep things moving, rather than just phase to phase to phase. And everybody's level of ownership is only around their their single part, and and nobody really kind of cares about the overall impact or or uh, outcome of that project. But we saw a different a different level of engagement from our teams that that were part of this that that really. And it's something I'm going to steal from from Liz Wiseman in her book Multipliers that really taps into their discretionary effort, right? right. So they're yeah. not they're really not just doing their piece. Is they 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 see a different level of impact that they can make, and and I've I've really seen that somebody who you thought was given a percent is able to give 125 percent because they they just saw their role in this change. So it's been it's been an up and down kind of journey in terms of, of kind of learning how, how much structure and 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 then kind of too much 
not enough, and and it's still kind of a work in progress in terms of trying to get things set up. I, I've taken on a couple additional teams since we originally stood this up, and now I'm kind of navigating how do I bring that thought process and and kind of work work style to this team too? Because you can't you can't just kind of command and control and says okay now we're agile. There there needs to be right. an agreement uh, in terms of how that team's version of agile is going to be because if it's just my idea it's, it's going to be the worst right but it when when yeah. it's really kind of tapping into how they want to make things work and you kind of tap into how, how they the, they're invested in terms of what that difference is going to be man i can just get out of the way and figure out how to remove blockers yeah yeah and so uh, along those lines you mentioned earlier you you had mentioned looking at how the it team had adopted agile and and thinking about you know how you might do it with your own team and and just now mentioning uh how it's kind of a, a bit of a democratic process maybe of how agile marketing is is implemented so i mean would you say that your your teams are strictly adhering to both agile principles as well as like a scrum process or have you modified things that uh, in a way that works best for Costco and for for your teams, a absolutely, it's a modification, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. When when because if you read, I've done my research into to a lot of agile. There there was a lot of kind of focus on the ceremonies, I guess I would call it, and the process. Yeah. Where where I think that starts you at least to keep keep going. But what we ended up doing is just kind of changing, like, does this need to be a daily stand-up? Does this, how, how do kind of teams work best together with each other and, and really be, being kind of clear on how to resource that team correctly? So, and it, it kind of changes from project to project because if, if everything looks like you've got big, big pieces and little pieces that not everything needs to be this agile process. Some stuff can just be task management and some stuff needs to go through this agile process. And that's where we probably shifted our thinking in terms of, okay, what should be what we call pod work, right? That, that really needs some, some rigor and some uh, energy behind it. And what is kind of what work I call just kind of lights on work, right? That's going to happen anyway, but it's these, these larger projects that really need some focused attention because that that's where your turbulence is going to come in that you really just need this group to rally around taking it across the finish line. And, and how do you balance that lights on work at, at the cost? Because my, my experience sometimes on teams is I've seen that everybody's doing 99% lights on and has 1% of time for innovation and thinking differently. And you just, you don't get traction in, in those yeah. environments and just teaching people to really manage a little bit differently, which probably is the harder lift in, in the early parts because all they see is, it sounds like you're asking me to do more, right? right. And that that's an unfair ask when you're coming in. And really part of it is just, how are we gonna think differently about the work? And yeah. and cause so, and then that kind of engages kind of your, your conversations about capacity efficiencies that that really kind of continuous learning where where I still think we've got opportunities to go, okay, what did we learn? How we're we going to apply it? How does that make us move 
more efficiently next time. And and then that taps into their their problem solving skills as well, too, because nobody nobody's as close to the work as they are. And they're going to have good ideas on in terms of how to make the situation better. I kind of consider my my job is uh, all, all I am is a microphone for the best ideas and figure out how to resource them and amplify them. Because my, yeah. my, my work is to listen for the good stuff and figure out how to scale it. That's, that's, that's great. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've helped several teams implement agile marketing and, you know, the ones that I've seen, I would say the ones that I've seen that have been sustainably successful do, it sounds like very similar to what your teams have done, which is, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to understand the fundamentals. I think it's important to understand the, the rituals and the, you know, the, the, all that stuff about scrum and then, you can see what works and and what doesn't. But any team that has used it and used it sustainably, they have made it their own. And, you know, they're they're doing a lot of things that may be, um, you know, strictly adhering, but they're also doing a lot of things that just use common sense. And, and, you know, to your point about continuous improvement, I think, you know, how can you have a system of continuous improvement without continually modifying it? You know, so if you're stuck rigid in, in specific ways and practices, you can't really continuously improve. So I, I, yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like you're, you're in line with that. And, you know, my, my follow up question to that would be, you mentioned a few things there, but you know, how do you measure success? Or how do you look at success in terms of adoption of, of agile marketing? The, the big thing to, to me, and, and it's it's a little softer to, to kind of measure, but it's I kind of read for engagement in the process in, in terms of how, how the employees are, are kind of gauged. Because I think originally we thought that Agile was a tool, not necessarily a way to think. And and where, where I've kind of shifted my thinking on it, it's really Agile should teach employees how to think about their processes not necessarily just using a tool or 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 a mechanism or a framework to go. The framework just helps you start is all. That that just is yeah. less to think about to 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 kind of get started. And then the modifications kind of help you maintain kind of what what's working and what's not working. And I think that's what what kind of it's a conversation, right? Like what what about this is working? What about it what about this is not working? It's almost agile within agile. Right. So, yeah, so right, it's kind of right. thinking, how do, how do we even have continuous improvement of, on how we're working with Agile is part of where, where we're trying to go to. And, and a lot of times it, it's, it's what I'm learning from, from the employees that, that excites me is, is the parts that they like and, and the parts that don't work as much and giving them that freedom to, to really, hey, I'm, I'm focused on the outcome. You guys tell me about the process and what's working or, or not working, and we'll, we'll modify as we go, right? But it, yeah. it's not being dogmatic about something. It's it's really being where, where it's the spirit of Agile, I guess, is, is the big piece because I, I think I've seen the failure and the dogma where, where people disengage because, oh, great, now it's a stand-up, now it's this, now, and they're doing it because it's on the calendar. They're not doing it because that helps them work better, help, help yeah. them work better together. Yeah, com- completely agree. I think in terms of the the trying to avoid the dogmatic approach uh, as well. And again, I think there's a difference between knowing the fundamentals and, you know, know knowing this stuff versus having to strictly adhere to it. Because, yeah, it, I think 
teams want to have, especially when you the when you adhere to the agile principles, it actually goes against some of the the dogmatism or or whatever. In that, again, you know, if you're going to continuously improve things, you have to be open to changing some of those, uh, you know, some of those fundamentals. So yeah, agreed. So some of the 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 changes in thinking, and that that was kind of from my management team as well too, is that well, who do these people report to? Right was kind of the the original concern, and and yeah. so we we really kind of there's pods we call it pods and practices, right? So practices would be like an analytics or a data science team. We keep that together as a practice, and they have a director or manager that they report up to. But those members are part of pods, and so it, it's not about management; it's just about really teamwork. And and so yeah. it, that was tough to get around where everybody's used to. Well, who am I working for? In here, when you're working for the company, right? You you're, you have a specific skill set as part of your practice, but you're bringing that value to this pod, and and it's really to to kind of get the work done. So there there was I wouldn't say confusion, but apprehension. Like, what does this mean, right? To, uh, originally to start, and are you guys serious about this? Because is my boss just going to come and tell me, but that that's not your job. Your job is over here. And part of that was kind of aligning my management team to kind of say, now, now you guys need to rally on the work and then figure out how to put your resources best together to accomplish those things. Because you don't have, granted, you have some lights on work to need to go, but we've got some organizational objectives as, as the management team that you need to figure out how to resource and get done. So how are you going to best kind of bundle your resources to make that work? And what do you need from me is, is part of the conversation. So as much self-momentum as you can kind of create that, that I think is the win out of agile. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Robin, thanks so much for joining the show. I've got one last question for you before we wrap up. So uh, uh, along the lines of agile marketing here. So for those listening that may not have started down that path yet, but uh, interested in doing so, you know, what's one piece of advice that you'd have for them as they consider moving towards a more agile marketing approach? I think really is just being clear on what you're trying to accomplish is the starting place, right? Because I, I think that's where, where teams, a lot of times where, where it's just a framework that you're trying to apply on existing work that does not give employees a clear understanding of what they're trying to do, because that's more about the how than it is the what. So yeah. I, I think what our our learning was is are we are we clear on what we're trying to accomplish? Because it's, it's really having the teams, having that North star affects their decision-making and prioritization in terms of what they're working on within sprints or, or those, because it, it's, you almost want this proxy that they're, they're going to be thinking like you. And in terms of when that question comes up, because the more they think like you are, at least that that's probably a little bit more, controlling them and what I say, the more our thinking is aligned, the more likely yeah. the outcome is going to be what we, what we considered. And if you need me to sign off on everything as you go, then I, I'm the bottleneck. And so the yeah. whole idea is let, let's start with the vision. Here's the process that's going to get, to get us through there. We, we may shift what that vision is as we go and we learn, but that, that also needs to be aligned on thinking. And then we measure our outcome at the end. Right. And sometimes it's a win, sometimes it's a loss. 
out of doing that, but but uh, failures are also learnings, right? So it's just what do we learn? How do we apply it? What do we do next? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, again, I'd like to thank Robin Ross, AVP Corporate Marketing at Costco for joining the show. You can learn more about Robin and Costco by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. To get a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, visit my website or you can find it on Amazon or other retailers. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile.